Today is Acts chapter 12. We continue um, our exposition of the book of Acts. We arrive in a new chapter. And persecution returns to the church. Now, not through the religious realm, but through the civil realm. And so, Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. We'll be reading the entire chapter. Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. Those are 16 soldiers that would take turn um, keeping watch of Peter to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. For him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him. And wist not, he did not know, that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together, praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice... She opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, 
There was no small stir among the soldiers that was become what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god, and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not glory, God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Thus far, may God bless the reading of his word, and let us invite you again to open God's word in Acts chapter 12. And as we focus upon this passage, we were reminded of last time where the focus was in the blessings and the, the church plant in Antioch and how God blessed it with Barnabas's presence and how he went and got Saul and they began to teach and the church grew and then remember a prophet came and we saw the ministry of the prophets they were teaching the church that there would be a great famine in the future informing the church the, the Lord was protecting his people and that way they procured an, an offering and sent it to the south, to Judea, um, to the elders there, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Those are the very last words of chapter 11. And you saw as we read that the very last words of chapter 12 are that Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Um, Luke, as he wrote um, Acts, he, he wants us to to see this continuity that as Paul, as Saul and Barnabas arrived in Judea, well, things were happening there. And then we have this whole account of what was happening in Jerusalem, this persecution that broke forth through Herod. There was one execution of one of the apostles, the first apostle who is martyred, and then Peter is imprisoned. He is about to be executed in a miraculous deliverance. And then the text ends where then Paul, Barnabas and Saul returns from Jerusalem having fulfilled that ministry. It's giving us this sense of continuity. While, while all these things are happening, the church is growing in Antioch and they're concerned about the church in the south and these two men go down to help and to serve and to minister. But as they arrive there, all of these things are happening and they're, they're very important things. Um, Persecution again, and like I mentioned, this is a different kind of persecution. It's not the, the, the Jewish people now, the, the, the religious system. It is the, the civil government of, of Rome. It is through Herod. 
And we will, we will follow this whole chapter following these three points. First, we will look at the dangers um, of serving the Lord. We, we, are, we are made aware of this reality that, that to be a servant of Christ, to be an apostle, to be a pastor, but not only that, to be any Christian in those days and even today is a dangerous thing. And that is a reality that has to be known. God's Word doesn't hide that. And, and we will see um, the, something connected to that. And then secondly, the glory of serving the Lord. Yes, it is dangerous, and yet it is glorious. And we will look at elements of this glory. And then our last point, as we focus upon what happens to those guards that were trying to keep Peter from escaping, but failed... And then what happened to Herod, that shows us the dangers of not serving the Lord. And God's Word puts it, as it were, upon your own hands. You have these two dangers. It is a danger to be a Christian. And God's Word shows to you in a solemn way, it is a danger to not be a Christian. Which danger do you prefer? There's one of these that is eternal. And one, at the end of the day, is in light and comparison of the glory, which is our middle point. It is, in essence, no danger at all because you're protected by Almighty God. And, and even though this morning we, we went to Isaiah because we're looking at Lord's Day 36 and, and how... The great sin of not taking God's name, of, of not taking His name in an honorable way, taking His name in vain. We, we went to Isaiah 36 where we see Rabshakeh um, um, blaspheming the name of God. But in that whole event, we saw the power of prayer and we saw the power of God protecting Jerusalem from the greatest empire of the day where Judah that was threatened to become a wilderness, remained as a garden, protected. It's like God planted a, a, a fence and kept it as His secret garden for many years. And now we see the same thing with His church. And even though we start with the danger of serving the Lord and begin with, with the martyrdom of James. So, so let's go right there and, and realize, yes, it is true. We're realistic. God's Word is realistic. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is that God's Word does not promote false advertisement. And we all know what false advertisement is. You know how when you order things by the picture, and then when you see what that is, especially if it's an item of food, very seldom it looks just like that picture. And you soon realize that picture was completely promotional. It's not just that the lights were shining better. It really was bigger than what you have purchased. And, and you feel somewhat slighted. Um, and there are many other forms of false advertisements in the world. But God's word does not proclaim the Lord Jesus and the gospel and what it means to be saved without telling you the truth. That there is danger involved. And the Lord Jesus made that very clear. I want to read one of the passages where Jesus preached precisely on that. If we go to Luke chapter 14, 
Um, this is a passage where, where he took time as he saw people following him. He wanted to make it very clear. He, he didn't want false advertisement. He, did, he didn't want people following him for what was not true. Because you can see how it would, would happen. Here you're following Jesus. You've already seen that he heals the sick, that he gives sight to the blind, that the lame is walking and the dead is alive. And, and when there's no food, he creates food. And so, humanly speaking, why does not the whole world follow the Lord Jesus? And many people were. Because they wanted those very things and the excitement and the bread that perishes. And so Jesus would, from time to time, make it very clear to them what it meant to follow Him. And so in Luke 14, beginning in verse 25, we read, And there went great multitudes with Him. See, there are the multitudes. So He turned and said unto them, If any man come to Me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also... He cannot be my disciples. And he was, of course, implying with this, that if you have any greater love in this life, including for your own life, then you cannot be his disciple. He continues, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And remember, bearing the cross was an emblem of being ready to die because every person who bore the cross was taking it to the place where the Roman guards would put it on the ground and you would be the person hanging on it left to die. And Jesus is saying, To follow me is to carry your cross. See, he's not just saying it will be hard. He's saying there will be possible death at the end. And be ready for that. Be, be ready, as it were, for certain death. That is how I want you to follow me. And then he brought those parables of, um, regarding the tower, for which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. So he makes it think of someone, if you're thinking of following me, just like you would sit and calculate if you can build this tower, well, well, then it's wise to sit down and see if you want to follow me. Well, in the parable, you're thinking, do I have the money? Do I have the blocks? Do I have the know-how? Do I have the engineers? Do I have the manpower to build a tower? If you find out you don't, you don't start building the tower. If you realize, I have all of this, you build a tower. Because it will be very shameful to be a semi-built tower. Everybody's going to say, so-and-so began to build, but he didn't have enough wisdom to finish. He didn't plan well. And he's saying the same thing. If you're going to sit down and decide that you prefer your life than to follow me, that when there is persecution, you'll be scared, that you will deny me, that you will betray my trust. That if your father says, don't be a Christian or I'll disown you, you'll be receiving no inheritance if you become a Christian. So Jesus was basically saying, decide right now. If your father says, my inheritance or Christ, and you prefer the inheritance, well then just stay there. Don't even follow me. If you have a wife who says, I don't want you to go to church. If you're going to marry me, you can't go to church. And Jesus is saying, well then decide right now if you will decide to have that wife or to have me as your Savior. Or a husband. If your husband will say, if you go to church, I will not marry you. Well, that lady will have to say, do I want Christ or this husband? That's what Jesus means by hating father, mother, and spouse. 
He's saying, who do you love most? And there's the danger of death. So this is what I mean by God's word having no false advertisement. And when you stop to think of this, beloved, we realize how the church can only grow by the power of God because no one in their human right mind will ever say, I will be a Christian under these principles. Because why would you want to die? Right? When, if, you, if you're thinking of a club that you want to join and you're thinking of the fees that you have to pay and the rules of the club, but I'm sure you'll never read there that you need to be willing to die to join that club. And if you read that, you probably will not join that club. The only thing that people join willing to die is the army, the military, because that's the whole nature of what it means to be in the defense forces. And that's why we applaud them and thank them and pray for them and thank the Lord for their lives. They're willing to die. But to become a Christian, Jesus did say, you need to be willing to die. If you're not willing to die, you're not ready to follow me. But see, he says this in love because he's saying, because you see, I'm, I'm the master and they killed me. And I know the world hates me, but they can't see me, so they will hate you. Because in hating you is the way to attack me. And so they will try to kill you. Remember when Jesus came to Saul, and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul probably went through his mind thinking, I never did persecute you. But Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you have persecuted. And Jesus, and Peter had very likely in his mind the flashback of being there while Stephen was being stoned by all those people. Remember, Saul was the one receiving the coats of all the people. He was the one leading, as it were, that whole event. He was the one saying, go ahead and throw the stone at that man, Stephen. He deserves to die. And Jesus, in that moment, showing himself to Saul, was saying, why did you persecute me? And and in Saul's mind, he was supposed to think, those stones that went upon Stephen was as it were upon Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus meant, that if you're going to follow me, be ready because it may come. And then you understand what Jesus is doing is he's loving his followers. He doesn't engage in false advertisement. And we, as, as leaders in, in, in the church, pastors, and, and as you evangelize your friends, you need to say the full truth. You can't say, come and be a Christian, and you know God will provide everything for you and protect you, and, you know, and He'll heal you, and you'll become rich, and, and if you pray, He'll give you everything you need. There are religions in Christianity with that name preaching that way, and, and it is false propaganda. Now, it's different to say... Yes, eventually. In heaven, there will be no diseases. In heaven, everything will become visible, the riches and the glory. But while we're here, there will be suffering. There will be dangers. James was martyred. This, this was that James. Let's just talk for a second about James. He, he was the brother of John. Remember how John and James together 
often would come and talk to Jesus once on their own. Once they sent their mom, their mother, to talk to Jesus, asking if they could sit on the right and on the left of Jesus. They wanted the best part in the ministry of Christ. They were thinking of the ministry of Jesus as a worldly one. There would be a throne and other minor thrones, and they wanted the very best place following the king's place. And Jesus said, it's not mine to give it. And for you to have that, you need to be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with. And Jesus was meaning, for you to sit on my right hand, I will go to the cross and die and go to heaven. And for you to join me there, you will have to die and go to heaven. And he he asked them if they were ready to be baptized with his baptism. And they said, we are. And now James received it. And before we even go to our second point, we're talking about James. Let Let me show the glory. See, this is what we need to understand. This is what James prayed for. He prayed to be at the right hand of the Lord Jesus. And he's the first apostle to get there. And it was through martyrdom. This is what the world doesn't understand. They see James being taken by Herod. They think, what a waste to be an apostle of Jesus. Look what happens. I'm not going to join that religion. But when you look it in the eyes of faith... He is being sustained. He is being blessed. And yes, it may have hurt. There were the mysteries. He encountered that last enemy, which is death. But then, after he closed his eyes to this world and opened it in glory, he saw his beloved Lord Jesus. And he is there still today. So... James. And then um, the dangers continue. We, we need to look at Peter. Peter is now put in prison. See what Herod did. He, he killed James and he saw that the Jews were so happy with what happened. So he proceeded to go further and he took Peter and put him in jail. And he had plans to execute him on a certain day. Passover and unleavened bread began. It was that feast that lasted for a whole week. And in his mind he thought as soon as that is over... It is through that feast that later we have Easter, thinking of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it was connected in its origin with, with Passover, which, which would have been, um, remember that last meal that Jesus had, the last supper. Um, then he went to the cross, so that's why Easter is connected with the last supper and then going to the cross, Good Friday, always the Friday before Easter. So all of that celebration was going on, and Herod thought, as soon as that is over, I'll execute Peter and have more Jews applaud me. So those were the plans of of Herod, and Peter is here in jail. And so when when we look at Peter, we see also this danger. There is the danger of being arrested. There is the danger of being executed. There's a danger of suffering and lingering in prison. We've seen many dangers so far of being a believer. Um, We've seen the danger of having to to leave your your family. We we, we don't see the numbers, but beloved, you, you need to put yourself into all that's happening. We've already seen those who had to leave into Samaria. And we, we don't have numbers there, but it might have been in the hundreds, in the tens, or in the hundreds. But then we hear, we just read in, in chapter 11, how there were some who were escaping to the regions of Phoenicia and of, of Cyprus. And what was happening is they, and to Antioch, they, it was more families going in each of these directions. 
And, and they weren't going for vacation. It's not like they thought, you know, we have relatives in Cyprus. Let's go there, visit them. No. They, they probably thought, we have relatives in Cyprus. Let's go there, hide with them. But that's never very, a really happy thing to do. And so maybe they went in directions where they had connections. But some of them are wondering, will we ever see our land? Will we ever see our family? They're losing their livelihoods. They're losing their farms. They're losing their possessions. Some of them maybe received them back. Some of them never did. It's a hard thing to be a Christian. Do you understand this? Do do you accept this? Do you acknowledge this? And beloved, this, of course, is something in a sense that we need to preach about in our country. But if I were preaching this sermon in in maybe among three, four people that we could gather secretly in North Korea, they would be looking at me saying, Pastor, we know that. That's why we're here. And that's why you're whispering. And that's why we're only three people. Because it's so dangerous to be a Christian in our country. And then it's the same thing in, in Iraq and in Iran and in Afghanistan and in Pakistan and in India and in Algeria and parts of China and Libya and Ethiopia. I know a pastor in the OPC who is a refugee from, from Eritrea and he can't go back. And after quite a few years, his family was able to come over. So now they're united. This is the reality of many parts of the world. And the danger of where, the, where there is peace is that we grow complacent. We forget that it is dangerous to be a believer. And sometimes persecution might come and there will be some believers who will falter. And beloved, what you and I need to be ready is this. And to, to answer these questions, are, are you ready for whatever suffering may come? And persecution is always in terms of an array of things and of possibilities. When Jesus said that you should hate your own life, He was saying, be ready to die. But of course, it can start where, boys and girls, it can start where, where you might have friends who tease you for be a, being a Christian. Young people, you might have people who say, I, I don't want to hang around with you anymore. All you do is want to go to church on Sundays. We used to hang out and have fun and do all kinds of interesting things, but now you're not fun at all. Why, why would we hang out? And you might lose that friend. Are you ready for that? And then there are people who lose their jobs. There are so many criterias nowadays. The pressures are becoming so intent that if you hold to certain Christian tenets, there will be pressures. Will you prefer your job or your witness to Christ? It starts in that social level and it goes to the physical level of incarceration all the way to the point of of execution and it happened to James and it was dangerous to happen to Peter it was planned to happen to Peter so we need to be aware and we need to ask the Lord for strength and we need to ask him for faith and the key of course is who do you love most If you love Christ most, then it won't be hard. Remember, in in the whole counting the cost thing, 
It's not in the sense that you need to pay anything to be a believer. It's completely for free to be a believer. Christ is the one who paid everything. We trust in what He did. But now that you are a believer, there is a cost. Because there may be persecution. There may be social pressures. And are you willing to pay that cost? And if you love the Lord Jesus, you will be as one who would say, it's not costly at all. To lose my job, but to gain heaven, or to lose my life, and to gain eternity, it's really no cost at all. See, there's a cost, and yet in light of the reality, it's really not a cost. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. So this goes, leads us to, to the, the second point, the glory of serving the Lord. Um, and, and, and this glory of serving the Lord, we're not going to go straight to, to Peter's deliverance because we see the glory there where an angel comes and visits him in jail. We go still to, to, to James and we, we see his martyrdom has an element of glory. And, and I want to bring here the, the reality of the glory of being a martyr in the biblical sense, like being someone who dies for the sake of Christ. God's Word has a word to that, um, that, that you would receive a crown, and it is called a crown of life. And it is also known as the martyr's crown. One passage from which we get this is 1 Corinthians 9.25. I mean, every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He's here speaking to every believer that as a believer, um, there are people in this world trying to get a reward. But when we try to serve the Lord and be faithful to him, we're striving for an incorruptible crown. So we hear something of that crown in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Some see this as simply a figure for the reward of being in heaven in the presence of God. But in James 1.12, we, we see this reward of a crown being driven now to someone who suffers for the sake of the gospel. Look at James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation or trials. That could be the word for persecutions. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And so this helps us understand James. James is a man who loved Jesus. And when he died, he received the crown of life. And see, this is where you need eyes of faith. The world saw a James that died. God's Word sees a James who is living now with the crown of life. And then we go to Revelation 2.10 and we read, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison that ye may be tried. So Jesus is telling here one of the churches that there will be persecution. And it says, And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This crown, even though every believer receives a reward, we start finding this crown of life, a, a vocabulary directed precisely to those who suffer for the sake of Christ. And here, even in the sense of martyrdom, faithful unto death, a crown of life. That's why the church developed the vocabulary, the crown of a martyr. 
James, the day he died as a martyr, he was crowned by the Lord Jesus. And then there's one more place where we see the people who are martyrs, who die for the sake of Christ, um, very directly because of their witness for Christ. They, they are given a very... Um, like a limelight, as it were, in, in heaven. Where, where, when all the seals are being opened in Revelation chapter 6, it's with the fifth seal being opened. Remember that we see an altar, and we see these souls that are under that altar. And it says that they were souls of them who were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So James is one of those. See, it's not just anybody who dies as a Christian. It's those who died for the sake, for the word of God. And then, after they ask the Lord um, when there will be a vengeance for their blood, the Lord Jesus says this, that they will be given white robes. Well, it says that white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest Yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should, be, um, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And, and this is speaking to us who are alive. Those who are under that altar, who are the martyrs, are told to wait because there are more martyrs to be added to their numbers. And, of course, every believer who's alive hearing this should understand maybe I, I might be one of those one day. It's whoever's a believer still living and dies for your witness for Christ will be added to those who are treated in this very focal and loving way where, where they're shown as people who are, are praying and speaking to the Lord and the Lord is talking to them with compassion, recognizing them, giving them love and a reward and care and compassion. And in this one thing, no one can touch them there. They can't go back to prison. They can't have these chains about them. They can't be in the dark dungeons anymore. They're in bliss forever and ever. So that's what I mean by the glory of serving the Lord. We see this glory even as we look to James. And then we see this glory um, when we think of those who are suffering. James is one who died, and we see this Glory, but we see this glory when there are when there is suffering. Remember this one reality, beloved. I've, I've mentioned this through through the years, and this is a dimension that I believe has has a sacredness of suffering for a believer. That to me, it's the key of what should help us endure suffering. That every single element of suffering, be it from a disease, be it from depression because somebody let you down, be it a betrayal, be it um, that you're sick, be it that some part of your body is just hurting so bad. See, every suffering, spiritual or physical or or um, uh, 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 I'm thinking of a mental kind of suffering, all of those sufferings help you Understand the sorrow of suffering. Just the sheer sadness and misery of suffering. And when you do, you're being given to experience something that Jesus felt on the cross. And you see, I can, I can preach this to you, but you don't feel it. But the moment you have a very sore headache, in a sense, this is what you should do. This is, this is how you should interpret suffering. You should think, this headache is 
killing me. And Jesus on the cross experienced headache as well. There's not one suffering that Jesus did not experience in His trailing to the cross, either going there or there. And then every suffering that we feel, the Lord is saying, yes, I felt that too. And it will make you that much more appreciate that He did that on the cross to forgive you of your sins. See, it will help you understand that your sins are bad because it made Jesus hurt. It's helping you understand that if He hadn't gone to the cross, you would have to suffer that headache or that bone ache or that sorrow of depression forever and ever and ever with every other sorrow added to it of burning, of loneliness, of darkness in hell. See, there's a blessing to suffering. It makes you know the hell you escaped for the sake of Christ. And it makes you look to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I thank Thee for doing that for me. But although this is true of every suffering to whatever degree, it is truer, if I can say it that way, it is most true when you suffer for Christ. Not a disease will be in this category that I just talked about. Loneliness and somebody, somebody that... It's not that he's despising you for being a Christian, but he's just not being nice to you. So you suffer. All of this suffering is in this category, and you already are blessed in this, these ways that I said. But if you're here in this camp, and somebody looks at you and says, I hate you because you're a Christian. Or if you lose your job because you're a Christian. Or if you have friends who tease you because you're a Christian. If you are put in jail because you're a Christian. Or you are executed like Stephen and then James were. Those sufferings are the most immediate that you are blessed with this that I am saying. And I have all of these passages. Um, I've, I've also preached from time to time concerning this. This is where Paul has that blessed phrase, the fellowships of the sufferings of Christ. Because see, the moment you're, you're, you're going to jail because you love Jesus, then now you're so connected to the sufferings of Jesus. Because the world is actually hating Jesus. They can't touch Him, so they touch you. And this is why Paul spoke of bearing the marks of Christ on his own flesh. Because they were meant for Jesus. They can't scourge Jesus, so they would scourge Paul. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, we read, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. See, when the church suffers because of Christ, it is called the sufferings of Christ abounding in us. In 1 Peter 4.13, it wasn't Paul only who spoke this way. Peter did too. 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. See, when there's persecution to the church, and if you're there suffering, you know that that is partaking of Christ's suffering. And the way I understand it is that it, this that I spoke of, that in general speaks about every suffering, becomes more personal, more direct, more certain, and more connected, as it were, with the sufferings of Christ. 
And this is the glory of serving the Lord. That every suffering you receive is not in vain. There's something theological about it. You're identifying, being identified with Christ. And Christ comes in His compassion and says, even though the whole world does not understand your suffering, I want you to know that I do. Because I suffered more. And even as people can't say, I know what you're feeling, Jesus would say, I know what you're feeling. And when it is for Christ, He will say, I felt it as if upon myself. This is so precious. It's the glory of serving the Lord. When there's, when there's martyrdom, when there's suffering. But then also we can talk of the possible deliverances. There's glory in that you serve a God who may choose to say, I will deliver you in a miraculous way. And there have been many um, you, you have read many missionary books, I hope, I trust. And if you haven't, read them. Um, you, you will find out that it's not that it's, it's rare. It is so often that God delivers in a mighty hand, in, in a way like we see here, or, or similar to these ways. Sometimes people don't see the angels. They don't, they don't see evidences of, of, that are so visible, but it's obviously a deliverance. Like, like Corey Ten Boom, who, who was in prison and there was a mistake with the numbers. They read her number and she was delivered. Years later, she found out it was a mistake. Well, um, there could have been an angel there putting a paper in the wrong place and in and, and the right place in, in, in God's view so that they would then read that number. But here in, 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 our, in our passage, we, we have the details. And this is so precious how God chose to show um, what Peter saw. And even when Peter wasn't even understanding what he saw, but he was able to pin it down. And boys and girls, did you follow what happened? Peter, Peter was in jail. And there were guards right there beside him. He was, he was, in essence, chained to these very guards. If he was about to move, or every time he would move in his sleep, it, w- it would maybe somehow wake up those very guards. They, they weren't supposed to be sleeping. That's why there were these four quarturians. There would be two guards right there with him, two guards right outside the door. And because we read how they went, the second and the third um, all of these phases, there were possibly other guards. But there were four that were there taking these rounds, taking care of Peter. And they were not supposed to sleep. After they did their hours, the other group would come. Um, They would take their turns. There were 16 of them, and they would take their rounds um, in groups of four. But obviously, there was like a miraculous sleep to these guards because Peter awoke he was in such a deep sleep that the angel had to, had to kind of wake him up. And he woke up. The angel told him, put your coat on. You read how the chains fell. They probably didn't, feel delic- didn't fall delicately, but made noise. But it woke up no one. All of that is a miracle. And then the doors open. Peter passed. Those Guards also, in a miraculous stupor of a sleep, they saw nothing. And then he goes through another set of gates, and then out into the streets, and he's delivered. 
And the, and the angel disappears, and Peter comes to himself and, and acknowledges, wait, I'm, I'm not dreaming. This, this is not a vision. He had felt himself as in a dream. You know, boys and girls, when, when you're in a dream, and, but you wake up and you're in bed, and, and you know it was a dream. But Peter knew he was in jail. He woke up, and he's on the streets. If he had woken up by those two soldiers, he would know it was a dream. But he woke up from that vision of seeing the angel and seeing the chains fall, putting on his coat and going through the guards. And he's now on the streets and he kind of comes to himself and he realizes this was not a dream. This really happened. And and we, we don't know the details of why he knew how to go to Mark's house, but that's where he goes. And, and this is where we see one more element of, of the glory of serving the Lord. Not just that in the suffering there is blessing, and not in the possibility of a miraculous deliverance, but also in the access to God in prayer. Because, beloved, all of this that we're talking about happen in the context of prayer. And remember when we were reading that when Peter was apprehended, it says in verse 5, Peter Um, Therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And the idea we get, verse 4, talks about the guards that are without ceasing keeping watch of Peter. And the church decided we're going to have a guard keeping watch in prayer for Peter. And if we get tired, we'll go home, but others will come to pray. It gives the idea that they they had a a prayer chain. There are many churches that do that. In times of great intense need, people sign up a list saying that they're going to pray. But what they were doing here is they were praying together. And so maybe as people got tired, they would leave and others would come. And Peter comes in the middle of the night and he goes there and there are people praying. See, that's also what gives you the idea, not only the word that they were praying without ceasing, the idea of an of a unending chain of prayer, but also that Peter is delivered. He goes there and they are praying. And this is this other element. Before we go on to our third point, there's this glory in the access to God in prayer. The angel showed up, and it was in response to the prayer. God wants us to connect these dots. Yes, God would have delivered if He wanted to deliver, but it's also in His heart that we pray. And he put this weight and the burden in the hearts of the church to pray and pray and pray because God was going to deliver powerfully. But he wants his people to participate and they were praying. And then there is, of course, this, this, um, it, it, there's an element of humor um, in terms of the human experience of what was happening because Peter knocks at the door and, and really what, what you get is the intensity of joy of Rhoda as she gets to the door and asks who's there. She hears Peter's voice and she is so full of joy. It says very clearly that for joy she just ran to go tell everybody else. Everyone else. And, and you, you could imagine, well, for joy, shouldn't she have opened the door and let him in? But there's this, you know how it is where you're so taken that you're not thinking straight. And this is precisely what happened. She's not thinking in terms of he needs to be let in. She's thinking, these people have been praying unceasingly. I have heard his voice. God has answered our prayer. I want to go tell the good news. And that's what she does. And we do have an instance here, and maybe you've heard sermons and commentaries comment on this, this sad reality. But, beloved, notice how this can still encourage us as well. 
they didn't believe her. They're praying for his deliverance. They hear he's outside. They say she's out of her mind. And as they go back and forth, they say it must be his angel. Maybe it's a spirit. At that point, you're wondering if they're just mocking her and teasing her. But where does it encourage us, beloved? What kind of prayer does God answer? It is the prayer of faith. But how much faith does it have to have? This this episode shows it doesn't have to be very strong faith. Because these people did not have very strong faith. Rhoda was the one perhaps with stronger faith that by hearing the voice, she didn't have to see his face and she knew it was Peter. But when she told all the others, they didn't believe. So even though they were praying, they could not believe that their prayer was answered. So their faith was not great. But this is what it should encourage you and me. God will not answer your prayer only if your prayer is so full of very mature, strong faith. But provided you pray, and it be the size of a mustard seed like Jesus said, your prayer can remove mountains. And this is what their prayers did. They had little faith prayer, and Peter was delivered. And that's the glory of serving the Lord. And then let's go to our third and last point, the danger of not serving the Lord. We spent quite a good long time on on the dangers of being a believer. But the text ends with the dangers of not being a believer. It starts with those poor guards. Poor guards, but they should have known better. The gospel has been some time now in Jerusalem. Why did these guards not repent and believed? And why did not join the church? And we don't know if some of them maybe were believers. It could have been. But those who weren't, they were executed by their king because they were in the midst of of a miracle. We feel sorry for them. But you can see how God uses this for His purpose. These guards would not have been bribed for their life. What could Peter offer them money-wise that was better than life? They knew if they let Peter go, they would lose their lives. So there would be no convincing. There would be no riches Peter could ever offer them. So the very fact that these guards are executed show that this is an evidence that this really happened. And you see the dangers of not serving the Lord for whatever guards these were who did not know the Lord Jesus. This was a bitter end for them. But the one person in the text that we know did not love the Lord Jesus was the very man who executed these guards, Herod. And the the text ends with this, this pericope. And we know also that this is true, beloved. This is attested by Josephus, a a 
a Jewish church historian writes about this event where Herod came to this group of people who were kind of reconciled finally, and he will give a, a speech to them. And he appears in a way that was very glorious. It says here in verse 21 that he had a royal apparel and he sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Now, this royal apparel, the way Josephus speaks of it, is that it was, it was this gown that was made of little pieces of mirror all connected to each other. So as he stood and in the distance with a flash of lights, it just irradiated irradiated light and and brilliancy from him and as he spoke perhaps with a booming and eloquent voice they they did say this they said that it was the voice of a god and not of man this too is attested by josephus that the people gave him glory as if he were a god And Josephus goes further. In the text it says um, that he did not give the glory to God. Josephus says that too. He accepted the glory that they were giving, the applause of men. And because of that, he was killed on the spot. The Lord came. There was now another um, angel. Verse 23, immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Beloved, this, this is not coincidence. There's an angel at the beginning and it delivers Peter. Now there's an angel and it executes Herod. Herod executed James. Now Herod is executed. Could it be the very angel that delivered Peter? It, it doesn't matter. But you see here what heaven is saying about what Herod did. Heaven is saying it's more dangerous to not serve the Lord. And I pray that that is how you interpret it as well. But beloved, every single unbeliever who hears the gospel and who has been offered Christ, and if they were to say, but I I am scared of being a Christian. And now especially, pastor, that you preach this sermon and I hear of the possibility of danger, I'm scared. Well, this very text ends with a Herod. Shouldn't that scare us most? A man who dies without Christ, desiring the glory of God, and being punished on the very moment. God is saying, humanly, yes, it is dangerous but not truly and not in essence. James is well. Peter is well. Of what we understand, every apostle minus John suffered execution and John exile for many years in the Isle of Patmos. But they're all well. They're all before the throne in heaven. And every modern martyr throughout the ages, they've all received the crown of martyrs. And they're all waiting to be further rewarded when their bodies join with their souls. And beloved, I pray that that may be in your heart as well. Young, young men and young women, boys and girls, don't ever be scared of serving the Lord Jesus. You've heard it put this way, that yes, one plus God is always the majority. You might be the minority in job, in a a college. You might be the only Christian in a certain place. 
But if you're a true Christian, God is with you. And so you're the majority in that sense. You have nothing to fear. Keep serving the Lord faithfully, loving Him, trusting in Him. And He will protect you. You might be delivered if if you ever need it. But we can't promise that. We don't do false advertising. We, We don't know who will be protected this way and who won't. There were those who were. There were those who weren't. I just want to end with this. Um, Joseph was delivered from the dungeon. And he became Pharaoh's prime minister. Moses was delivered from the Nile. And he became the deliverer of all of Israel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were delivered from the fiery furnace, from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Um, Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. Noah was delivered from the flood. Jonah was delivered from the fish. Hezekiah, we saw this morning, was delivered from all of Assyria. Daniel was delivered from Saul. I mean, David was delivered from Saul. And Peter, we just read, was delivered from Herod. But Stephen was not delivered from Saul And James was not delivered from Herod, but only in their momentary lives. They went to a place where they are delivered. And that is the glory of serving the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious, glorious God Almighty, we thank Thee, Lord Jesus, that Thou art the one who suffered the most, Thou art the one who went to the cross for sinners. None of us, Lord, in our suffering pays for our sins. We are suffering because of sin in this world and how it truly is a valley of tears. The fall has affected all of mankind and there is death. But Lord, Thou, Lord Jesus, are the only one who went to the cross to suffer so that sins would be atoned for. And we thank Thee, Lord Jesus, for Thy sufferings there. And that they were sufferings even unto death, because the wages of sin is death. And it is because of Thy suffering that we have the promise of life. That that our sins will be forgiven, so we will not have to pay with our lives in hell forever. We thank Thee, Lord Jesus for suffering the most and for suffering for us so that even though there's some dangers here in the world while we live the glories far surpass all those dangers and we pray Lord that those who would be found this moment without the Lord Jesus that thou would open their eyes to see Lord that their danger is the greatest right now without Christ and that they would flee to the Lord Jesus that they would pray this very moment save me Lord Jesus forgive me of my sins Lord we pray that this very moment they would have this love for the Lord Jesus greater than a love for anyone in this world or their own lives and this way their very lives will be truly preserved because of Jesus we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen